I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Claire McGowan. She's a crime thriller author whose first true crime story, The Vanishing Triangle, is out now exclusively on Audible. Uh, She doesn't just stick to crime, she's publishing women's fiction as well, Uplit, under the name Eva Woods. We talk about how her style changes between the two genres, also how much she thinks about what needs to be different, what can't be the same, who her different readerships are between those stories. Also, she wrote four books. Mm, Yeah, be envious of that. Four books over the last 18 months or so. And you can hear how she plans things while spinning so many different work plates to keep them up in the air, to keep publishing. And we talk about why, for her new novel, the twist came in a different way than usual. Well, this is very unusual for me. I've never really done any planning. I've always been a kind of jump in, see what happens. Don't always even know who the killer is. And I really enjoy writing that way. But I could tell with this book that I just, I'd written quite a bit of it. It was like 20,000 words. And I just wasn't quite, wasn't quite coming together in the way that I hoped. And I really wanted to try and elevate it and just think what, because it's a book about sleep. So I was thinking, well, things about sleep and consciousness really lend themselves quite well to twists. So all I did was I just made a list of every possible thing that could be going on. And some of them were just incredibly outlandish. Um, And just doing it that way, I was able to, come up with quite a good one I think so there is more with Claire McGowan in this week's writer's routine yes welcome along my name's Dan Simpson thanks for finding us this is writer's routine where we take a look inside an author's day to see how they get stuff done to unpack their process really Uh, this week it's Claire McGowan She's probably best known for the uh, the Paula Maguire series, uh, a few standalones in there as well, crime, thriller novels. Uh, she's also worked on women's fiction on Uplit under the name Eva Woods. She's on to tell us about her first true crime story out exclusively on Audible. It's called The Vanishing Triangle. It looks at the unsolved disappearance of at least eight women from mid-90s Dublin. Now, the bodies were never found, no subject was ever charged, 
Uh, and to understand why they remain unsolved, Claire looks at what life was like in 90s Ireland and, and investigates how the political landscape and Irish society's views on the treatment of women, how women are portrayed in media, in stories, how they're sensationalised, how that impacted the investigation. Now, she's on to talk about that and to explain how she wrote it, how she researched it, how she kept listeners engaged to a, a story that, well, might not really have an ending. But as is always the way when we chat to authors, they're in the middle of another project. So we end up touching on that too. This one is a novel about sleep. The clip that you heard earlier, that's about the new novel. Uh, we talk also about why she goes on retreats, because she likes to be around people and around buzz when she's storytelling. How does that work when she escapes to write, though? Uh, also, we talk about how her routine is pretty chilled, how she figures out what's going on in the day, but thinks things through and then writes kind of when she can. And she shares her strong notebook opinions too. Now, this was recorded a few months ago, back when we were in lockdown still, and that does colour much of the chat. Um, but it's a good one. It's a, it's, it's a nice, detailed look through her writing day, and we start, as we always do, with what Claire sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. So I'm just in my office now, which is where I write. It's a tiny little room. A um, couple of bookcases. have a big sort of monitor, um, a standing desk, which I pretty much never use, so I really have to start doing that a bit more. Um, yeah, that's all ready for my printer. Um, a few things on the wall for inspirations and postcards and things like that, some paintings, um, a couple of awards. So, yeah. What postcards and, and paintings do we have? What's giving you inspiration? Is there some, like, a theme? Not really, just things that I, I like, find interesting. It used to be when I went, when you could go to art galleries, I used to pick up quite a lot of postcards there, but haven't been anywhere for a while, sadly. So. And it, do you, are you lucky enough to have a window in your room? Yeah, I've just got a... Window, um, looking out onto the street, not very exciting, but yeah, it's all good. It's the first time I've had an office is living in this house. I used to write at just kitchen table for years or in the corner of the bedroom, so it's quite a novelty still. How did you acclimatise to that? So when you moved in and the first few weeks of, of having your own office and not having to find a little bit of space here and there on the sofa or kitchen table, how was that? Uh, it's okay, I always had a desk, it just wasn't in a room of its own. Um, I think I sort of have a weird thing where I find it hard to write new work in the office. So I always find it easier to write new things out and about in the world, you know, cafe or something. But obviously we can't do that at the moment. So I've had to just get on with the new one here. But that's been OK. So we've had about a year, a, a year to the day of lockdown. Uh, how How was that? process of if you're used to writing out and about and suddenly you can't do that uh how you you said you have to just get on with it how was forcing that to happen I'm quite good at getting on with things and I did have quite a lot of deadlines last year I think I wrote four books last year something like that close to four so I really just had to get on with it for quite a long time but I am missing the extra bits that you do to sort of jolly yourself through a book so normally I would go on a retreat at least twice a year I usually go to a place called Gladstone's Library which is in North Wales it's near Chester uh, just a really really fantastic place to go and stay and I usually get a lot of work done there so I had a few I think I think I managed to go just before lockdown I think I went in late February um, but not been since then sadly 
If I were to uh, to walk into your room there, Claire, would I have any clue as to what story or project you were working on at, at that moment? I mean, plot points on the walls, post-it notes, any research materials? Not so good at having the kind of whiteboard or the, the post-it plotting or things because I'm not much of a plotter. But if you looked carefully, you would see that I tend to have a lot of research books about whatever topic it is I'm working on. So at the moment, I'm writing a book about sleep. So there are a few books about different sort of sleep disorders and things. Uh, I've still got quite a lot of the ones from my previous book, which was about a miscarriage of justice hanging around. So I'll have to move those away at some point. Uh, and you mentioned your desk. This is your this is a sitting desk, not a standing up desk. Did you did you say you had both? No, it is, it is a standing desk, but I just don't ever use it. No, like you just that. don't so lift it up. I'm having to uh, having to get, I have to get much better at that because I do have pretty chronic neck problems. Uh, what, what trinkets are on your desk? Uh, no trinkets. Um, I have a lot of hand cream. Um, my hands seem to be very dry. I'm sure, like everyone's this year. And I have some kind of fingerless gloves. I get very cold when I write, although it's quite warm today. So I don't need that. Um, yeah, nothing really. Nothing particularly interesting on the desk itself. Just lots of notebooks and my external keyboard and things. The idea of going to a retreat is interesting. What is it about detaching yourself away from, th- especially for someone that writes, uh, you know, being in cafes where there's bars, where there's hubbub, but there's things going on, detaching yourself, taking you away to a, a writing retreat. Uh, how does that affect or, or change how you are writing? I'm a bit of an evangelist, that's how you say it, about going on retreats. Um, I often go if, I have, if I'm really sort of stuck on a book or if I have loads of work to do and it just doesn't seem possible in the time that I have. And I'm always amazed by how much I can get done um, I tend to go with two friends, so I'm usually not by myself completely, but even if I didn't go with them, and I, I have gone on my own a few times, there's enough people around so that I don't feel lonely. So, for example, there's a, a canteen, so I might like chat to the staff a little bit. Um, and even if that's just a very, very brief chat, that seems to be enough to to not make me too lonely. Because I've, I've gone on retreats by myself before. I just rented a flat, and that, it was quite lonely, and that didn't work. So I think it's to do with... Um, just the, the right amount of sociability, um, really lovely environment to work in. And I think the, the biggest thing is not having to do sort of daily chores. Was a friend of mine, the friend I normally go with, we decided to sort of make our own retreat in the autumn when it was allowed. And we, we went to an Airbnb, which was lovely. But we just never, we didn't get anywhere near as much work done as we normally do because we were having to make meals and things. And even that small amount seemed to make quite a huge difference. So. I would recommend going somewhere where you can get your meals provided and you don't have to do anything. <laughs> is there something about working in luxury in that? You know, you're kind of, you're escaping to a hotel, as you said, everything's happening for you, yet you're still doing the day job while you're there. Yeah, I don't think it has to be luxury, but yeah, it's to do with the mind space, I suppose, of just stepping out of your normal life, uh, really immersing yourself in your work. So I know it is, it is really nice, the place that I normally go to, and it is a really beautiful building. I wouldn't say it was especially luxury. But I do know some other people that, that like to go to hotels and things. That's not something I've really ever done before, but I'd definitely be up for that. If there was like somewhere with a pool would be ideal for me because I just love to swim when I'm writing as well. and haven't been able to do that most of the year either. Um, just very lastly on your room, uh, on the desk you'll have a, a, a laptop or a computer or something like that. What What software are you writing on? This is very niche. Um, so I'm still using Word, um, and I know it's probably not the best, but I'm just a bit set in my ways. Um, 
and I have quite like instinctive responses to how things look on the page. And I did, I have used, I did download Scrivener at one point and have a look at it, and I just didn't like how the words looked, which sounds ridiculous. But um, so I just use Word and I use the headings function to kind of keep track of my chapters. I do wish it was easier to move chapters around. Um, there is a way that you can do it, which I've forgotten again, but I can. It is possible. I've done it in the past. So yeah, just the old old fashioned kind of clunky approach. With that, have you got any staunch? And I, I imagine you might do because you're quite particular about you know headings and the way things look. Any staunch font opinions? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Actually, let me see. Um, I think I used to be an Arial type of person. I think maybe now I'm more of a Calibri. Um, maybe I would put it in Arial before I sent it off. Um, it tends to be twelve points. And while I'm writing it, I tend to do sort of 1.15 spacing and then bump it up to two before I submit. So, yeah, these kind of things actually seem ridiculous, but can be very important. Um, just in the way that I feel about the notebooks I use, or just I have a lot of very, very strong opinions about that. So. Well, please, this is a safe space for any strong opinions about notebooks. This is a sanctuary. Just just open up. Tell me. I can't use anything that doesn't have lines. So sometimes people buy me really lovely notebooks with sort of blank paper inside and I can sort of just use this for taking notes but I couldn't write in them um it has to be a5 quite like the ring bound spines at least to let you crack the book open but then the, they do tend to fall apart a bit and the pages fall out so this is the kind of thing that writers talk about when they meet up just uh very boring to anyone else but very crucial to me well abs- ab- absolutely I've spoken to many many writers on the show and some have yeah, many opinions on the way things look and how they're writing. Some, some don't. Some will write anywhere. Why do you think you're quite particular about how things look when you are plotting and when you are drafting? Um, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's more to do with the mechanics of it. Like if it's a book that's too tightly bound, I can't open it up wide enough to write in it. So it's just things like that. Um I don't know. I don't think I'm that particular about other things. I have written in lots of different environments, but definitely the notebooks. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't like any notebook that's smaller than an A5 either. So I wouldn't really be able to particularly do anything with, with that. I don't really have a routine. It just kind of depends what I'm doing on that particular day. So normally there would be kind of meetings, and I might go into town once or twice a week, um, so phone calls and things. So fit it around that the moment i have to say i'm barely doing any work at all my working day has shrunk right right down to just a few hours so i'm sort of allowing myself to have the mornings off at the minute because i'm not a morning person at all i absolutely hate getting up um and people who say well they the best thing to do is like get up at five and write so i always think load of rubbish you know if, you, if that's good for you then great but that that would absolutely not work for me i'd just be tired and grumpy so at the moment i'm sort of reading in the morning quite a bit and then depends what I have to do to be honest I have lots of different projects on the go so I tend to be juggling three or four things at the moment I don't have anything pressing to do except for writing my new book and the deadline is not for a while so I don't feel under massive amounts of pressure so I'm just writing a little bit every day maybe a thousand words I might bump that up depending on how it goes um I'm just sort of yeah thinking quite a lot about it which is quite a nice luxury actually I've written quite a lot of books in the last few years and thinking time isn't always something I've had a lot of so it's quite nice to do it in a sort of leisurely way and actually I'm doing a little bit of planning and a little bit of research but yeah no particular routine um if the gym was open I would probably go to the gym in the afternoon about now sort of three-ish 
Um, obviously going for the daily walks at the minute and walk around the block. It's just, it's all pretty boring, but, and I've been stopping work about six, which I used to work much later than that. But again, my, just my day is just shrunk quite a lot. Is there a name then you say that, you, you know, sometimes you might, you might write about a thousand words. You'll kind of get to it when you feel it's right. Uh, is there an, an aim every day of what you, cause I would imagine someone that has quite a lot of projects on the go, Maybe because you're spinning so many plates, stuff does need to be planned in that, right, now I'm going to do this, then I'll do this, then I'll do this, just to keep on top of everything. Yeah, so I'm quite goal-focused. So I will typically have um, a kind of sense of what big projects I have to do, and that will usually be at least four things a year, if not more, because I also do scripts and radio dramas and things. Um, so I might have a sort of yearly timetable, and then I'll kind of break that down into what stage do I need to get the project to by by when? And I will actually write that in my diary that I might want to get a certain number of pages or a certain word count by a certain time. Uh, I've always been a big, big proponent of doing page and word count goals instead of time goals. So I don't think there's any point in saying I'm going to write for three hours because you could just do nothing in that time. And it's quite a lot of pressure. So I just say, well, I'm going to do the words and then I'll stop. Or if I, if I really, really feel like it, I'll keep going. But if you do a thousand words a day, like that's actually quite a lot. You will quite quickly build up a book in about three months if you do that every day. And then obviously you've got your your editing time. So that tends to work for me. Do, do you have an idea of, of what you are doing on a specific day? So, for instance, if I said to you, what's what's going on tomorrow? Would you have a vague idea of what time you might start, what you are going to be working on, how many words you might think about cracking through? Um yeah, absolutely. So I, write, I do write a little kind of schedule for every day. Um, it doesn't always have times in just because I've been so terrible at getting up at the moment. But actually, I don't feel too guilty about that because I don't have a huge amount of pressing things to do. And you know, I quite like having the mornings to be, be relaxing in the mornings. So I'll probably, yeah, but I do have a little kind of schedule of um, various like hobbies and habits I try and do every day. Um, and I'll have a kind of target for the work which is usually like write a certain number of words or just sort of sometimes it's just like taking a project out and having a look at it and somehow that seems to work eventually if you just kind of stare at something long enough and delete a few words add a few words if you are spinning so many plates you said that you stopped work about six o'clock but last year you know cracking through four different projects maybe you were working later how good are you at switching off when you're not working um, I think okay, just because I've done this for a long, long, long time, and I do feel sorry for people that have come to homeworking this year and not being given any kind of support as to how to do that because it isn't actually all that easy. Sometimes you know, it's there is a bit of an art to it. I think so. I read this great book last year called um, Mixing Up Two Different Books. So two different books. One's called Atomic Habits, and one's called Deep Work. And the Deep Work one is about how to find focus, which is something I think we all need because we're also distracted by the internet these days. Uh, and he recommends in that book to have a kind of shutdown ritual for the day when you use so something that you might do that would tell yourself, I've stopped working. So that could be, I sometimes go through all my emails again and just check I've answered everything or else I might, might write a schedule for the next day so I know what I'm doing. Um what about on the days where the words possibly aren't coming too easily to you? Is there anything that you can do that just helps them, I guess, unblock? Yeah, that definitely happens. Um, this book I'm writing in the minute, I actually 
did stop there for a while and I've only just started working on it again after about a month or six weeks or so and I think that was actually the right thing to do I just stopped for a while and thought about it and I I made some notes and did a little bit of planning and I think I've been able to come up with quite a good twist that way so I'm actually really happy I did that uh, otherwise I would just probably write something anything at all so I might sort of jump ahead to a different part in the book or just write something that I know probably isn't going to stay in just to just to keep going and even if you're sort of thinking about your book and turning over the material every day that will eventually lead you somewhere even just doing that I think is very helpful you say that you you've happened upon a, a good twist for the book you're writing at the moment through kind of planning and stuff obviously without giving away the twist can you try and describe that aspect of it and I guess the moment that the twist arrives to you because I think sometimes uh maybe non maybe readers think that a twist comes in and aha like a big eureka moment this is what happens whereas it's just interesting that you're you know you're doing it as as the result of of mind mapping and planning well this is very unusual for me I've never really done any planning I've always been a kind of jump in see what happens don't always even know who the killer is tend to write crime fiction mostly um and I really enjoy writing that way but I could tell with this book that I just I'd written quite a bit of it it was like 20,000 words and I just wasn't quite wasn't quite coming together in the way that I hoped and I really wanted to try and elevate it and just think what because it's a book about sleep so I was thinking well things about sleep and consciousness really lend themselves quite well to twists so all I did was I just made a list of every possible thing that could be going on and some of them were just incredibly outlandish um and just doing it that way, I was able to come up with quite a good one, I think. So, Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll have more with Claire McGowan, Eva Woods, in just a sec on the show. I hope you're enjoying the uh, the bite-sized chunks of the chats that we're bringing you pretty much once a week. Just a, a little bit of inspiration, I think, if... if in the middle of the week, if you're, you know, if you're flagging a little bit, if you need a little pick-me-up to get you down in the chair, to get your fingers on the keyboard, 
I hope that's what the uh, the random routines are doing for you. A little bite-sized look back at conversations that we've had in the past. If they are helping you out, uh, you can always help us out by getting to patreon.com forward slash writers routine and just supporting the show in any way you can. A few dollars a month, it really helps us keep going. It helps us to keep bringing you chats with as many fantastic authors as we can. Two episodes a week now. You can get more bonus content on Patreon. You can get a show where authors will answer specifically the questions that you want to hear about. Uh, That's not all. You get merch. You even get a way for your book to sponsor the show. And you get our eternal thanks. Our everlasting gratitude as always. It's just a way that you can help us out for hopefully helping the way that you write, the way that you sit down to tell stories. Doesn't cost a lot. Anything that you can give us, anything that you can help out with goes a long way, I promise. You can get involved, you can help out over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it with Claire McGowan then talking about her new true crime story, The Vanishing Triangle. It's out exclusively on Audible. We talk about why it was harder to write non-fiction and true crime rather than stories completely from her own head, how she kept the audience engaged uh, through a story and through audiobook episodes that maybe they might realise didn't have a conclusive ending because that's often the nature of true crime. Also, she's written uplit novels under the name Eva Woods, And we pick things back up, talking about the style, how that changes when writing two different genres, and how really the main difference between the two is is how much she plots. I've always been quite open about the fact that I am myself, and I'm also Eva Woods, which is my my pseudonym for writing women's fiction. Um, And I've been able to do that now for quite a few years, write at least two books a year. Um, find it quite helpful to jump between projects. I think sometimes what causes a bit of trouble is that the because I'm so attuned to mystery style plotting that that does sometimes creep into my women's fiction. So there's nearly always some kind of mystery as well in those books. How are the rules different? Yeah, you know, for a layman, someone that doesn't write any of those genres, how, how does the way that you tell those stories? differ i mean if you say that the kind of the mystery stuff occasionally creeps into your women's fiction uh... yeah you just need less plot i think is the key and i know not everyone would agree with me on this but i i find with the with the crime stuff you just need lots of plots i really something big should be happening every chapter keep the tension up the ticking clock um whereas in the women's fiction i think you do need a strong story as well and i think you can definitely have mystery that isn't anything to do with crime it's just something that we that we don't know but you really need um it's a lot more focus on character and tone. So it needs to be sort of quite warm, ideally a little bit uplifting. It can be sad. Um, So that tends to be a bit more important than plot, I would say. Do you have to get yourself into a different frame of mind? Because as you said, women's fiction tends to be more, I mean, it's uplit, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, about being happy, about normally things coming together at the end, whereas that's not always the case with mystery crime thrillers. Uh, How much do you find yourself being in two different frames of mind as you write things across the year? Yeah, so the crime one can definitely take over if I don't give myself enough space between the projects. And um, I think the crime comes a bit more naturally to me because to me it's easier to create a plot than it is to create something intangible like characters that people really love and sort of uplifting tone. Now, the, the new one is on Audible. Uh, how much do you care about how people consume your stories? As in the medium? Yeah. 
I don't care at all. Yeah, I just really think like most writers just really want people to be just want to be read. So it's the kind of the being read that gives you life really as a writer. So yeah, I have no no strong feelings at all about how people consume those. What the new one is? It's a uh, it's the a true crime story. It's the Vanishing Triangle. Uh, Claire, tell us about the moment, the very first moment the, that the idea for this came into your head. Uh, it was sort of by accident, really. I'd I'd gone to this crime writing festival, which normally I go to every summer, although obviously not last year. Uh, I think this was must have been three summers ago, so it must have been twenty eighteen, and just happened to be chatting to my editor, who said. Um, published by Amazon and they own Audible and he said we Audible are looking for more true crime podcasts and audiobooks if you can think of any kind of big true crime stories and West Cork had been the one that had been very successful for them which is about an unsolved murder in the west of Ireland which happened in the 90s and just immediately what came to mind was this series of disappearances which had happened in Ireland also in the 90s but on the other side of the country around Dublin um, there were at least eight women that went missing over a period of about five years. Um, they'd never found any of them, no trace, no evidence. And I was always I was a bit shocked really that this wasn't more widely known. So that was the one that immediately came to my mind and just got chatting to the, an editor from Audible at this same event and she really liked it and commissioned it. So off I went to write it. Uh, and I guess it's so simplistic, but what happens next? You go off, you, you go to write it. This is this is true crime, so you've got to rely a lot more on research, I would imagine, than just stuff that is in your head. Uh, what what do you do next before you start typing away the very first sentence? So this is really, really, really different for me because I've never written anything non-fiction or true crime before. And it felt just so much harder, and it's taken me quite a long time, actually. It's, I've been working on it for probably at least two years now if not more yeah so it's about two and a half years probably all in with all the edits and that's that's hugely long for me I would never normally take long so I think what was really key was trying to find an approach because we we knew we wouldn't be able to solve the crime it's not that kind of case there isn't the sort of obvious suspect there's not even any bodies there's no evidence so we tried to take a slightly different tack which was to look at this situation in which these disappearances took place, so the kind of political, sociological, religious, social, um, why why might they have happened in the first place and why are they still unsolved? So we look at lots and lots of things that have actually become really tragically relevant or, or are still really tragically relevant. So things like victim blaming, the handling of missing persons cases, attitudes towards women and society, all this kind of stuff. And of course, because it's Ireland, the, the political situation in the 90s was quite relevant too. How much do you know about that story? Uh, but before you write, as, because this is true crime, um, do, do, did you have to have a much bigger understanding in your brain of, of where your plot was headed than you might normally do? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I did know quite a bit about the story, yes, but I didn't really know how to shape it because... It doesn't have a sort of obvious story arc. There isn't, as I say, there's no, there isn't, well, there are suspects, but there isn't a kind of obvious smoking gun suspect. And there's just no evidence. So there's no way to, there's not really anything to pick over the, the way there would be in podcasts like West Cork or Serial, where there was quite a lot of evidence and a suspect. So it was really just trying to find how I'm going to approach this. 
Um, and then I did do, obviously did find out a huge amount more about the stories and the, the context from my research. I think my sort of central question is, was there a serial killer in Ireland in the 90s that nobody, not only did they not catch, they didn't even know there was one, which I think is quite a kind of shocking hook. Um, because when you think of, you think of Ireland, you really think of somewhere like quite welcoming and green and peaceful. And it is those things, but what I was finding was there actually were a lot of disappearances and also a lot of murders of women in this same area around that time. Like quite quite a lot more than I had realised, actually. And when you when you pull them all together, when you look at it on a map, you can see how close together some of these disappearances were. So I hope there's enough there. And I do sort of look at some potential suspects as well. Um, but we just can't we just can't come to any kind of definite conclusion. And that's not just me, that's the police in Ireland set up a cold case team at the end of the 90s to look at these cases and they worked on them for three years and ultimately came up with nothing. So they just aren't solvable, unfortunately, unless more evidence appears. What's that like as a writer? So when you are used to writing fairly, I mean, cut and dry is the wrong word, but you're used to writing thrillers and crime thrillers off the top of your head that most of which do have a resolute, a resolved ending. Uh, how, how do you approach the, the 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 final few pages when you know that, that that this has not been resolved how are you tying it all together um so so I'm, I'm tying it a little bit to the thing that kicks off the story is that in 2018 in the same area there was another woman was abducted and she was very sadly murdered um and when that happened it was it was in the same area as a lot of these other disappearances people kind of started talking about it again so I do a bit of a sort of chronological tie-in. I look at some other things that happened in 2018 and 2019 that showed that even though these cases were almost 30 years ago in some cases, they things have not really changed that much. Like there were sort of a number of murders, there were a number of high-profile rape trials around the same time. There was the abortion referendum was the same year. So there was a lot of stuff happening. So I try to look at like what, what makes them still relevant to now. Um, I do have some speculations as to what, might have happened um what i'm trying to do is use that hook of was there a serial killer abducting women off the street you know stranger abduction um but also is there another story under that about what really happens to women like what what are women most at risk from and i kind of look at the stats and sort of conclude that it's actually from men they know you know it's their their partners their ex-partners their sons their fathers if you look at the stats which Women's Aid Ireland have, have done some really brilliant reporting into what they call femicides, women that are murdered every year. Um, that's that's a kind of less interesting story, but I think a really important one. And when women are afraid of being abducted by a stranger, we need to kind of qualify that a little bit, I think, and say, yes, that's absolutely horrific. And probably that is what happened to a lot of these women that I'm looking at here. But we need to look at what other things are happening to women that perhaps aren't so sensationalist, that perhaps aren't going to get a podcast or a true crime documentary, but absolutely women are still losing their lives this way. What was it like for you as a writer, writing something with that form of message? Because I would imagine with, with many other crime things that you've, you've uh, stories that you've told, you're not always trying to give the audience something to necessarily take away in terms of the wider scheme of society? Yeah, I think I often am, actually. Uh, not always, but I think a lot of crime writers write with a kind of quite strong 
social message it's a good way to kind of get it across and make it palatable and hopefully still interesting and there's been a lot of discussion about how crime fiction uses the uses violence against women as an as entertainment value so i was very aware of that of trying not to do that um i felt i had a lot of imposter syndrome actually because i'm not i'm not a journalist and i'm not a kind of non-fiction writer i just make things up usually so yeah i did do a huge amount of research to try and get past that wanted to ask you about that uh, you've kind of touched on it with the imposter syndrome but how much did you think about tone because the way that you tell a true crime story in the narrative voice that you're using surely has to be different from a, a fiction crime story that you're writing how much thought did you give to that yeah so it's quite a personal narrative um i would almost say it's part memoir because i Grew up in Ireland in the 90s myself. Um, some of these women weren't that much older than me. One of them was a year or two years older than me. And she went missing quite near where I grew up, actually, even though it was, it was over the border. I grew up in Northern Ireland, but I grew up in a border town, so it's not very far. So I tried to put a lot of that myself into it and my kind of recollections of what it was like to grow up in Ireland then. Um, and that's why I think I ended up narrating it as well, just because it was such a such a personal story. Did did narrating it change how you view the way you write at all? I don't think so, no. Um, I was quite surprised. I was surprised to be asked to narrate it because I don't do that kind of work. I'm not an actor or anything, but it was really interesting. I think it was right that I did just because there is so much. It's really my story in some ways. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to uh, Claire McGowan for coming on the show. If you'd like to listen to The Vanishing Triangle, you can use the link in the episode notes wherever you're listening, and it's over at writersroutine.com too. I know it's going to the um, the big man. I know it's going to Bezos and Amazon, but uh, it goes. It helps the show out. It just gives us a little bit of kickback, and I mean, it's audible, so if you want to listen to the show, that's how you need to do it. Use the link over at writersroutine.com. Now, next week, we're chatting to Jamie O'Connell all about his mystical, thrilling debut all about Dubai. It's called Diving for Pearls. That's next week on the show. In the meantime, keep your eyes peeled on your podcast feeds, wherever you listen for another bite-sized random routine halfway through next week. You can always give us a follow on Twitter at WritersPod there. You can leave us a review on Apple. You can get in touch at writersroutine.com and you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. Right. I think that's the whole admin done. So I will see you next week with Jamie O'Connell on the show. Until then, bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.